Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We have the benefit of studying the Bible. We can read about Jesus. Now, he's done his part. What do we do? Here's First Pres Executive Director Chris Pan. And please note, because of some technical difficulties in the first few moments of the sermon, they may be a little bit difficult to understand. We apologize for any inconvenience. It'll last for about a minute and 15 seconds. Here's Chris. Good morning again. I'm Chris Pan, the Executive Director at First Pres. Our sermon title today is Faith, Hope, Faith. Persevere during difficult times. And hopefully it will provide us encouragement today as well. I always like showing this slide of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration to orient ourselves in the big story of the Bible. God is the creator of our world. We have fallen due to sin, both inherited and our own. But Jesus Christ has come. He lived and he died and he was resurrected, providing redemption for us and we look forward to restoration. And the early Jewish Christians lived in this period of time between redemption and restoration, just like we do. They live after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and so they have hope, but they have not yet seen the full restoration of God's kingdom. And so they have this longing, just like we do. Chapter one to 10 of the letter to Hebrews explains why Jesus Christ is worthy of our devotion. It explains how Jesus is related to the Jewish scriptures, to Israel's history, his connection to angels and Moses and priests and sacrifices and covenants. And then we come to what we're going to be looking at for this month of August, chapters 11, 12, and 13 in Hebrews, which encourages readers to stay faithful during difficult times, to have faith and hope, particularly looking towards the future, looking towards this future of restoration. Today I want to talk about faith in three ways. Faith as a crocus, faith as a packed bag, and faith as a sturdy box. As we go through our sermon today, ask yourself these two questions. One, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? And two, what does he want me to do about it? Ask yourself these questions. Whatever God has to say to you is more important than anything that will come out of my mouth. Will you please join me now in prayer? God, we invite you to speak to us now. We invite your Holy Spirit to transform us in this time. 
We want to be transformed, not just informed. We want to be inspired by your spirit, not just informed. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. We pray this now in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's children say, amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, the author defines faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Point number one, faith is a crocus. You know what a crocus is? It's a flower, yeah. um, I'll show you a picture in a little bit. Um, But uh, maybe one of these slides will come up and say the word hope, just the word hope. And what struck me as I thought about this passage was the word hope. Um, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope is an ingredient of faith, a critical ingredient in faith. I think it struck me because after the last two and a half years, hope seems like such a foreign idea. Uh, I feel like I lost touch with the idea of hope over the last two and a half years. I was too busy trying to survive, trying to adapt, trying to just buckle down and get through. And maybe some of you today are also thinking, oh yeah, what happened to hope? Hope is elusive to me, not just because of circumstances, but because of my personality. I'm not really a hope kind of guy. I'm very practical and pragmatic. Um, Aaliyah, my wife, has big dreams and big hopes. Uh, The other day, Aaliyah told me that her dream, her new dream is to take a year off, move to the south of France, and learn how to make cheese. Um, My dream is that when I get gas at Costco, the line is not too long. It can be long, but I just hope it's not too long. I feel like we've been living in a world without hope for a bit. The author J. Harry Cotton writes this. We are entering into the realm of the unknown and the unlived, and we are entering it joylessly and without much hope. Without hope, we are reduced to a cowardly calculation for our own safety. Without hope, all we can do is build our own shelter against the oncoming storm. Our faith denied, our creative impulses stifled, only the craven instinct of self-preservation dominating us. Without hope, we burrow into the ground, dig bomb shelters, prepare to live the life of a mole instead of walking freely in God's sunlight. Man, do I feel like that accurately captures what these last few years have been like. Sheltering against the storm, focusing on self-preservation, creativity stifled, burrowing into the ground like a mole. You know when that quote was written? 1955, the Cold War. But how remarkably similar and on point for us in 2022. So today, whatever our circumstances, whatever our personality, I want to invite us all to hope again, to dream and hope about something big. We pray this every week, the Lord's Prayer. We pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's hope for that. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom of restoration and peace on earth and goodwill to all people on earth as it is in heaven.
I have been living underground as a mole person for too long. And so today I invite you all, my fellow mole people, to emerge from your burrows and walk freely in God's sunlight. That was my other subtitle for my sermon today. Emerge, fellow mole people. What does this have to do with crocuses? Other translation of verse 1 reads, Faith is the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of what is not seen. The substance of what we hope for, the evidence of what is not seen. Many of us may have the incorrect impression that faith is the opposite of knowledge. That faith means believing or trusting in something for no good reason, no basis. Turn off your brains and just believe. It's like superstition or wishful thinking. But our passage today says faith is the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of, what thing, of things not seen. The Bible doesn't say turn off your brain and just believe. The Bible is full of explanations and evidence and eyewitness accounts to Jesus' life and testimonies to God's faithfulness so that from that knowledge, we might have faith. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul writes this, and I'll paraphrase. Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. Then he appeared to Peter, and then to 12 disciples. Then he appeared to 500 more people, some living, some dead. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and then to me. That's not somebody saying, just believe, turn off your brain and just believe. That's Paul saying, look, don't take my word for it. There's all these other eyewitnesses. There's all this other evidence. Investigate, ask them. That's why you should believe. Faith is not the opposite of knowledge. Faith includes knowledge, starts with knowledge, and then moves far beyond where knowledge leaves us. I grew up in Connecticut, as many of you know, which is very different than living and growing up in Hawaii. And two differences. One, there is snow in Connecticut. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, well, there's snow on Mauna Kea. Uh, but come on, you know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like snow on your school. And two, because there is snow on your school, we had a sport called indoor track. Indoor track doesn't exist in Hawaii because why run indoors? Um, I ran indoor track in high school during the winter sports season from December to March. Uh, and we practiced indoors and ran meets indoors because outside it was cold and snowy. Um, and for practice, we'd run up and down the school hallways and around the gym over and over and over again. Except that we had this rule that if the temperature got warmer than 40 degrees, we got to go outside. And it was glorious. We waited for those days, usually in March, the first warm day of temperatures over 40 degrees. We'd go outside in our shorts and our t-shirts and we'd practice and run around for two hours. We loved it. Lucky you live Hawaii. <laughs> Invariably, after that glorious 40-degree day, it would snow again and get cold again, and we'd be back inside, running up and down the halls over and over again. On that day outside, though, we would see crocuses. And I had no idea they were called crocuses then. I didn't really know names of flowers, so thank you to Timothy Mackey from the Bible Project for this explanation. In the midst of winter, a crocus was a sign of the future evidence that a future was coming. A glimpse of our hope for spring and summer. 
We now are living between winter and summer, and everything around us, the cold, the snow, told us then and tells us now it's winter. And if we relied only on our senses, we would think that it would be winter forever. That crocus was a glimpse of the future. It was evidence that winter wouldn't last forever. That even if we couldn't see it in full, summer was coming. The sun would shine. We would feel the warmth of the sun and be warm again one day. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that crocus. It is a sign for us that in the midst of winter, we know that summer is coming. Faith is like that crocus. The substance of what we hope for, the evidence of what we do not see. We, like the original readers of this letter, are living between winter and summer. And it is between the fall and restoration. It's faith that points us in difficulty and in the winter towards summer, towards hope, towards restoration. John Calvin writes this in his commentary on the book of Hebrews. Promised to us is eternal life, but it is promised to the dead. We are assured of a happy resurrection, but we are as yet involved in corruption. We are pronounced just, as yet sin dwells in us. We hear that we are happy, but we are as yet in the midst of many miseries. An abundance of all good things is promised to us, but still we often hunger and thirst. God proclaims that he will come quickly, but it seems deaf when we cry to him. We are living in winter. We need faith to see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to believe that summer is on its way to live there. I'm talking about faith in this very abstract way, and you might be asking yourself, so what? I got into a fight with my wife this past week, an argument, I know you're probably thinking, how could anyone get into a fight with such a saint? Um, that saint, of course, being my wife. Um, Aliyah said that I could share that we had a fight, but only if I said it was all my fault. Uh, so it was all my fault. Um, so what? I had to choose, as we were having this fight, this argument, would I live like it was winter? and be grouchy and bitter and hold a grudge and nurse my grievance, my well-deserved, earned grievance, and my own sense of rightness, would I have faith? Have faith and see the crocus, and even though there's snow on the ground, could I live like I know that summer is coming? Live into a future of peace and reconciliation and restoration. Live into forgiveness can't see it, but I live there by faith. Faith is a crocus at the end of winter, declaring that summer is coming. Faith is the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of things not seen. This week, are there ways that we can live not trapped in winter, but in faith, seeing that crocus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ breaking into our world in small and big ways, we take steps to live in a world that we hope for, but do not yet see in full. Faith is a crocus. Point two, faith is a packed bag. So we just covered Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now there's 39 other verses to go. 
The rest of chapter 11 is this incredible summary of nothing less than the first two-thirds of your Bible. It's a summary of the entire Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament or the Bible. First two-thirds in your Bible. It's a highlight reel of the heroes of the Jewish faith who are models of how to live and remain faithful in hard times. And I encourage you to read it in full this week if you have a chance, Hebrews chapter 11. Each new paragraph begins, by faith, dot, 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 the name of somebody, some spiritual hero, and how they live by faith. By faith, Abel made his offering. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Isaac and Joseph and Jacob. By faith, Moses and Rahab and David and the prophets, so on and so on. We're going to focus just on verses 8 to 16, which is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as innumerable as the grains by the seashore. All of these, referring to these ancestors, died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land that they had left behind, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've always loved this particular passage, uh, and it meant a lot to me growing up and as a young man, uh, because one more difference between Hawaii and Connecticut, besides snow and indoor track, uh, there weren't a lot of kids that looked like me when I was growing up in Connecticut. Uh, my parents are immigrants to the U.S., so they are literally strangers and foreigners in a foreign land. And so growing up, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me or ate the same foods that I did or spoke the same language that my parents spoke to me. As a minority, as a child of immigrants, I often felt like I didn't belong. No matter how well I spoke English or did in school, I always felt a sense of foreignness. I never felt a sense of being at home in Connecticut growing up in Connecticut. And so this passage that describes Abraham and Sarah and the other great heroes of faith as strangers and foreigners really comforts me. Growing up, I felt like I was a stranger and foreigner, and sometimes I still feel that way. Maybe sometimes you do too. I feel like an outsider in our world. Maybe it's not because you're the child of immigrants. Maybe it's because of your sense of humor or your age, or your voting preferences, or your gender, or your weight, or your sexuality, 
or your family, or your anxiety, or your sneakers, whatever it might be. Maybe you, for some reason you feel like an outsider who doesn't belong. Verse 13 and 14. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way made it clear, make it clear they are, not seeking, they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. The, hero of the, Bible, the heroes of the Bibles are outsiders, foreigners and strangers who lived in tents, our passage tells us. They didn't even have any land of their own. Abraham and Sarah only had the plot that they buried Sarah's in, the only land they owned, only home they owned. They lived in tents their whole lives. And it's okay that they didn't belong. They didn't strive to belong in our fallen world of corruption and inequality and injustice and pain and brokenness. They longed for a better country, a heavenly one. They set their sights there. And so do we. We pray every week, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And our ancestors didn't just long for it. They got up and went. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed and set out not knowing where he was going. Before I went to divinity school, I visited a few different schools, and I had a, one conversation with this professor that really stuck with me uh, through the years. I asked a, a theology professor that I wanted to take classes with, I asked him, will you still be here teaching next year, you know, if I come next year? And he answered me with a parable. He told me that he was in the military before he became a theology, theology professor. And the best lesson he learned about being a Christian was from his experience in the military. He said that at the foot of his bed in the barracks, he had a footlocker. And in his footlocker was a packed bag that he had everything he needed in it. And then when he got his orders, when he got the call, he took his bag and he went. No packing, no questions. Within a few hours, he was off. And he said, that's what it means to be a Christian. When you get the call, you go. He said, I don't know if I'll be teaching here next year. Maybe I'll be a missionary. Maybe I'll be somewhere else. Maybe I'll be doing something else entirely. But that when God calls, he's ready. And he obeys, and he goes forward on the adventure as God leads. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Faith is a packed bag, ready to go on an adventure as God leads. Faith is not just in our heads, it's in our actions. Faith is obeying and venturing out when God calls, not knowing where we are going. Faith is a packed bag for an adventure. Maybe across the world, maybe across the street, maybe across the room. Those steps of faith all line up in the direction of a better country. That is, 
a heavenly one. Where is God calling you today? Where is God calling you this week? What is he saying to you? What is he asking you to do about it? Point number three, faith is a sturdy box. I hear a lot of people say, you just have to have faith. The most important thing is to have faith. Can I tell you today, I don't actually think that the most important thing is to have faith. I think more important than us having faith is what we have faith in. Hebrews chapter 10 reads, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. What matters more than my faith is that God is faithful. In verse 11, Abraham, it says, Abraham and Sarah considered God faithful, considered him faithful who had promised. That's why we hold fast to the confession of our hope, because God is faithful. I have illustrations today. I'm slowly becoming the Gallagher of preachers, which I don't mind. Here is a flimsy box, and I have faith that this box will hold me up. I have so much faith, I just believe that this box will hold me up. And does it matter that I have all this faith that this box will hold me up, or does it matter the object of my faith? So, real-time, dangerous stunts, don't try this at home. I step on this box. I had so much faith. It doesn't matter how much faith I have if the object of my faith cannot support my weight. It can't hold me up. So here is a much bigger and better box. This box will surely hold me up. This box I have experience with. Let's call this box exactly what it is. This box is everything I put my faith in in my life day to day that things will hold up my life. Things like my smarts, my education, my job, my title, my low-carb, high-fiber diet, my good deeds, my being a good person. This surely will hold me up. I have faith. But will this hold me up? I haven't tested this one. We'll see. No, it will not. I'm slowly making a big, giant mess. Faith is like a sturdy box. I need faith, but I need faith in something that will actually hold me up something that will actually support the weight of my life. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope, of our hope, without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. At some point in our lives, sooner or later, we'll find that the things in our lives, even the people in our lives, that we think can hold up our lives, can't. It doesn't doesn't matter how much faith we have in them. True faith is a sturdy box It's faith in God himself. Only God himself can hold us up. 
I actually wanted to say true faith is a big rock, but uh, big rocks are even harder to get up here than this box, and so you have to do true faith is a sturdy box. <laughs> um, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a solid rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. Faith is a sturdy rock. What are we building our lives on? What are we putting our faith in to hold us up? Faith is a crocus. Faith is a packed bag. Faith is a solid rock on which to stand. And faith is a blessing for others. Our faith isn't just for us to persevere through difficult times. Our faith, everything we've talked about this morning, is so that we can be a blessing to others. Abraham ventured out in faith because of the promise God made him and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah believed him who had promised. What was the promise that God made to them? Was the promise that he would have many children, that he'd be a great nation, many sons and daughters, you and I are some of them? Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and the ones who curse, I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a reminder as we come to this table to celebrate communion that we are blessed so that we may be blessings to others. The night before Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover meal with his closest friends, and he invited them into communion with him to remember God's faithfulness and to celebrate a new covenant, to celebrate that winter was fading away, and that summer was on its way. To remember that redemption is complete and restoration is coming. Jesus himself invites us to this table, and he is fully present here. He invites us to celebrate God's faithfulness together as a community. He invites us to look forward with hope. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread And after he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The gifts of God for the people of God. We'll be taking communion together now as a community all together at once. If you do not have the elements of communion, please raise your hand and the ushers can find you.
I gotta get my elements of communion. Um, anybody need the elements of communion? We'll take them all together as a community. Take a moment now before we take the bread. Just hold it, hold it in your hand and take a moment of silence. Come into God's presence, linger there. Lord, we thank you for this bread, a symbol of your body broken for us to give us hope and a future. Together, as a community, we now take this bread in remembrance of you. Take another moment as we have the juice, the wine, symbolizing the blood of Christ. Take a moment just to linger in God's presence. Lord, we give you thanks for this cup, a symbol of your blood, shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the new covenant, your sacrifice that washes us clean and brings us peace with you. Together as a community, we now drink from this cup in remembrance of you. Amen. Please stand now as we recite the prayer Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, can I just give a big thank you to all of the camera operators and tech guys and people who do the PowerPoint slides. Every week they do such an amazing job. Um, I particularly loved seeing right before our eyes, in faith, Dre's turning to praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, it was wonderful. That was amazing. Um, we invite you to stick around after the service. The best part is to linger together with each other. You have an opportunity at the coffee bar, Ohana Zone's happening today, hot dogs and fun things, both after, I think, after this service and also after the next service. Um, if you like prayer, please stick around. There are members of our prayer team out on the lanai. If you're online and you'd like prayer, please click the chat button. Um, God is good. God is good. May we have faith in his goodness. May we have faith that even though it might look like winter around us, summer is coming. Can we see that crocus? Can we pack our bags? Can we stand on a sturdy rock? And may our lives be a blessing to others. Receive now this final blessing. May the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now 
and forevermore. And all God's children say, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We cannot see Jesus, but we put our faith in him. Our hope is for the day his word is fulfilled and he comes again. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, please visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. First Pres invites you to church. Join us in person or online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at The Vine, or online through our websites. Remember, when you visit the website, check out the news page to keep up with all that's happening at First Pres. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Pres can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808 808- Five three two one 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 one. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.